when the opportunity to talk about Hebrew Revelation came up, the first thing my mind went to, for some odd reason, was chapter 6, and here we are tonight. So, Michael, I think it's your turn to read, correct? Uh, yours. It is my turn. Okay. All right, well then, <laughs> let's get to it. I get to introduce it and read the first chapter. So here we go. These are the confidential counsels. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw that the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard the four living creatures say, like one voice, come and see. Then I saw a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow in his hand, and a crown was given to him, and he went to overcome, and he overcame. And when the second seal was opened, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Then another red horse went out, and he who sat on it was given to take away the shalom from the earth, and a great sword was given to him. And when he opened the third seal, the third living creature said, Come and see. Then I saw a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A measure of wheat for two coins, and three measures of barley for two coins, and to the oil and the wine do not damage. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature say, Come and see. Then I saw a speckled and strong horse, and he who sat on it, his name was the messenger of death, and Ha-Gehinnom followed after him. And authority was given to him to put to death a fourth part on the earth, with the sword and with famine and with death, and by animals of the earth. And when he opened the fifth, I saw under the temple the persons which were killed because of the set-apartness of Yahuwah, and because of the testimony which they had. And they cried out with a great voice and said, Set apart and faithful Adon, until when will you judge without avenging our blood from those who dwell on the earth? And to every one of them were given white garments, and it was said to them that they should rest yet a little time. And I saw that he opened the sixth, and there was an earthquake, and the sun was black, and the moon was red like blood. And all their hosts fell down like a leaf falls from a vine, and like the withering of a fig tree. And all the mountains and hills were shaken away from their place. And the kings of the earth, and the rulers, and the rich ones, and the officers, and the slaves, and the free ones, hid in narrow caves and holes in the ground. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us because of the appearance of him who sits on the throne, and because of the fury of the Lamb. For the day of his burning anger has come, and who is able to stand before him? All right, over to you, Rob. Okay, I will start with the four horsemen here. And I got, you know, three slides on the four horsemen. Um, so I, I'll start with uh, them firstly here that it talks about a red, a speckled, and, and um, black and white horse. And what I wanted to first start with is in Zechariah there's also another comparison with these horses and it says in Zechariah that the red spe speckled and white patrol the earth when commanded and we see that example in, in Zechariah 1 8 through 10 and there's four horse chariots which are referenced to be the four spirits of heaven sent out to patrol the earth 
Those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. And that's from Zechariah 6, 1 through 8. So that these, these four chariots, these four horses, spirits, going throughout the earth, uh, being sent out uh, um, to those places. So I'll start with the white horse and go through these, and I'll also bring in Ezekiel too on this. So the white horse we see in the representation, it's all about symbology uh, with what's being said. As we, as we read many times, Yeshua always is speaking some of these things in, in parable, parables, and we have to interpret them uh, either ourselves or he'll give us the keys in, in doing so. So the white horse, the bow, bow in rider's hand and crown to overcome is what's mentioned. And this authority to conquer and overcome is given to the, to the white horse. And according to Zechariah, this white horse goes to the north. Uh, the bow, if you look that word up in, in Greek, it's used only once. And it's derived from uh, another word, G5088, to produce. So that bow, that instrument, produces, uh, and he has a crown to overcome and conquer. So I guess that's where they tied in the bow itself. It produces uh, arrows, a quiver, uh, you know, in that, in that form. I couldn't quite grasp. There was not enough context to see what it was meant by this derision from the uh, word produce. Uh, the crown or wreath that's mentioned here, the crown to overcome also can mean wreath, is a symbol of honor. And we can read that in 2 Ezra 16, 13 to 14. The, I found it interesting that it mentions wreath. And we see in a lot of the, the history, this, this use of a wreath being worn on heads. So I thought that was interesting. Now, the red horse, the rider has a great sword and takes shalom away from the earth. And in Zechariah it says, this rider goes to all the earth. So this rider is going everywhere, not just to north like the white horse, uh, taking, taking shalom away from the earth. And in Matthew, we see, Matthew 10, 13, if the house is worthy, see that your blessing of shalom comes upon it. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of shalom. John 16:33 These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may not you may have shalom for you will have distress in the world but trust in me I have overcome the world we just read that and so we see that the red horse is taking the shalom uh, away from the world and Yeshua just says you may have shalom if you trust in him so that's key. Now the black horse, as we read, that rider has a pair of scales in hand. And that rider also, according to Zechariah, goes to the north with the white horse, or after the white horse. Um, no, matter of fact, the black horse goes first, and then the white horse follows. Uh, here it says, the measure of wheat for, for two faces and three measures of barley for two faces. And, and that translation of two faces we see as coin. Because that's normally what you would see on a coin. Each side has a face. So that, that's the way, if that means anything else to anybody, let me know. But uh, that, that's what I got from that uh, description of the coin and faces. 
and do not damage the oil and wine. So the denarius used back in the day is also a penny of a silver coin, and and it is related, at least uh, from what I understand, as a day's wage for the for the measures of barley and wheat that's mentioned here. And then the scales figuratively, uh, obviously, literally, it's scales, the word for scales, but figuratively, that word means uh, joined by yoke. So the hand that's holding the scales, figuratively, that word is hand, but I mean, literally, the word is hand. Figuratively, that word is power. So there is power joining, joining and yoking uh, that is in his hands. So I think that was interesting in, in seeing that. And then I'll move on to the fourth horse. And let me drop that down in here. And give me a second. Okay, so now the fourth horse we see is a speckled strong horse, and the rider's name is the messenger of death. Now that rider in Zechariah is going to the south. So we see the other, the white and black, black and white horse go north. The red horse goes throughout the whole earth, and then the speckled strong horse is now going uh, to the south. And that rider is the messenger of death. So we 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 read in here is that the the valley of Hinnon followed after him to put to death. 25% of the earth with sword, famine, and death by wild animals. And we see a similar in Ezekiel 5. There's a similarity that is of the judgments of Israel for rejecting his, the Father's ordinances, and not walking in his statutes, doing abominations. That sword, famine, and death comes upon them as a judgment. So I think that's very telling in tying, tying into this, this particular messenger of death writing and how Ezekiel speaks of this exact uh, judgment of sword, famine, and death. And the reason for it is because of Israel rejecting his ordinances and his statutes, not walking in them, doing abominations. Uh, so there's four severe judgments against Jerusalem that, that I just mentioned, and that's in Ezekiel 5, but also in Ezekiel 14, 12 through 23. And the famine on human and animal life, vicious animals destroying, the sword and plagues will come and eliminate man and animals. So we see in Ezekiel 14, it gives more detail uh, specifically what that is. They will not be able to save their family. Only themselves due to their righteousness. So in this in this particular part in Ezekiel, it's mentioning that the families of the righteous are not going to be saved. It's only the true righteous that will 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 be saved. The rest will they just will not make it. Uh, survivors coming out, both son and daughter. So at this judgment at this time uh, of this time that's mentioned in Ezekiel, it's talking about survivors that do come out, both sons and daughters, they are going to come out to you and and then they will comfort you when you see their conduct and actions. So 
those will be comforted in seeing their conduct and actions. What does that mean? Their conduct and actions. It's it's very telling. See a lot. It's it's based on our actions, their actions, the humility, the the love, and producing the fruit and walking in them. It, there's so much tied to righteousness and our actions if they're genuine and true. Uh, let me finish it off with, uh, for you will know that I have not done with done without reason whatever I did to it, declares Adonai Yahweh. So at, at the end, after all this destruction, after all the, all the judgment that's being put out and put upon all, it's not until the end is when we will see what he did and why. So that's pretty powerful and, and, and scary because... Uh, uh, the majority of people don't know. They they live in the fear when these judgments will come and come upon upon them all. So that that's the that's the scary part. And uh, I got one more for the four horsemen, and that is. All right, give me a second. Second, so drop it. All right, this one here is regarding the the fourth horse. And this is on Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, he speaks uh, of this fourth horse also. Um, they're mentioned. And specifically on, on this, this horse, it says, uh, Yahuwah's heart will not be with his people. They've forsaken him. They did not repent of their ways. Here we go. Uh, Yah is tired of relenting and holding off and waiting, and they, they just would not repent of their ways. So he brings death, sword, famine, and captivity. So once again, judgments upon uh, his people. And we see this tied directly into very, very similar to Revelation as we're reading here. And, and then there's four dooms declared in Jeremiah. Sword to kill, dogs to drag away. Birds of the sky to devour and destroy, and animals of the earth to devour and destroy. And we see all of these tied in, just more detail uh, regarding to what we just read on the four horsemen, and especially uh, regarding the messenger of death on that horse. So with the four horsemen, I'm going to stop there, and I'll pass it over to Michael and until we circle back around. Michael? Yes, sir. Sounds good. Um, I'm going to take a different take on these horsemen, and it's... It's Yah's timing because Cher is in the house. And about a year or so ago, a little bit under a year, we were all at uh, Passover at Noel's house. And I remember talking to Cher about the Mazaroth in the sky. So I'm not saying this is 100% correct, but I'm going to link these four horsemen to possibly that. And a little shout out to our Discord page of the Mazaroth. Please go dust that off. It's it's lonely. And there's some good stuff in there. But... um. Okay, so now that I've set that, um, let's see. So, and actually, this is going to be first, too. I'm going to be dropping pictures. So, you guys are in for a treat here. So, let's see, the first of seven seals. So, and I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And let me just drop in Sagittarius. So, is this possible that it's a white bow, the archer? Um, you know, there it is. Um, the next one is second beast, and there went on another horse, and that was red, and the power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another, 
and there was given unto him a great sword. So my next thing would be, is it possible it's Orion? See, it's a it's the great and mighty hunter of the sky. Um, you know, third horse. I heard a third beast say, "Come and see." And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Um, which one has the balances? I'm only going to do four, so I'm not going through everyone. But maybe it's Libra. You know, Libra is known as the scales um, in this constellations. And then finally, um, the fourth horse. Let's see, which one do I have here? Um, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death and Hell, followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And finally, I'll just stop here. Could it be the Pegasus? Pegasus constellation of the white horse. I don't know if these are true or not, but I was looking for a different take on it, and I thought that was interesting, that these seals could sh just possibly be the Mazaroth. Um, in the heavens. Um, so that's what I got for there. I'll stop that because I ran into some issues with the fifth seal and linking it to a constellation. Um, number two, I'm going to read both. So let's do that. Um, the Greek. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And in the Hebrew, then I saw a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow in his hand. And a crown was given to him, and he went to overcome, and to and he overcame. And just point out the the differences, you know, conquering and to conquer. Um, and he overcame. Um, I want to, you know, make note that conquer was omitted from the Codex Sinaiticus. So it's very possible that the Hebrew was more correct, if it was part of the original text. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe it's always been overcome, and the later Greek. Uh, Road and conquer. Um, I don't think this is Yeshua. So a lot of people will link him to this one. Um, and the reason is because Yeshua in Revelation or Confidential Councils 19.12 has many crowns, not just one, and does not carry a bow, Revelation 19.15. And the word for crown, Stephanos, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories based around that, and um, is different from the many crowns diadema of Yeshua in Revelation. So that's just my dog in the race that this is not talking about Yeshua. Um, number eight, I'm going to read both again. Um, let's see, number eight. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with, followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. And in Hebrew, then I saw a speckled and strong horse, and he who sat on it, his name was the messenger of death, and Hagahinim followed after him. And the authority was given to him to put to death a fourth part, part of the earth, with the sword and the famine and with death and by the animals of the earth. Again, I'm just highlighting the differences. Pale versus speckled and strong. The messenger of the death is different. And Hagahinim, I think I totally butchered that, was different than the Greek. Um... But it is mentioning animals being killed. So I wanted to read two cross-references on that. Second um, Peter 2.12. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, using abusive speech where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. And then Exodus 9.3. I thought this was awesome. Behold, the hand of the Lord will come with a very severe plague on your livestock. 
which are in the field on the horses and the donkeys and the camels and the herds and the flocks. And I think, let's see, eight. A lot of people say that this is the plague, you know, in one of the seals. So I thought that was a great parallel there. And then finally, and then I'll hand it off to Noel. Um, number nine. I'm reading both. Let's see. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. That's the Greek in the Hebrew. And when he opened the fifth, I saw under the temple of the persons which were killed because of the set-apartness of Yahweh and because of the testimony which they had. Um, again, the, the differences are pretty cool again. Altars of the souls is the temple. Word of God is set-apartness of Yahweh. That's awesome. Um, but it, you know, it struck something with me. I think this is similar to Genesis 4.10, which says, Then he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So I thought that was a cool cross-reference to end it. I have plenty more on the second half, but I'll hand it off to Nolna. I would certainly agree with you, Michael, that I do not see Yahusha in these uh, writers. And I'm curious on the Zodiac, because that's the first that I have um, thought about that. And that is that is truly fascinating, especially with the idea of the sword coming out of Yahusha's mouth, um, the lightning, you know, from from the east, all those kind of things going on, a lot of stuff in the sky. Did you, did you maybe you can just answer this as a, a, a yes or no. Did you see those in order within the Zodiac, or are they kind of out of order? Those were in order. Oh, I'm they sorry. were the Zodiac. That I think they might have been out of order. Okay, but so it wasn't. It wasn't like it wasn't like one hitting in the next and next. Okay, I, I was just kind of right. curious. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, I'm gonna do. I'm really excited to be talking about this chapter tonight, particularly after my talk on Thursday when I talked about the year 66 to 70 AD and the generation that Yahushua talked about in Matthew 24, which I I personally feel like I made a very good case that the everything that was going leading up to Yahushua's glorious appearing was going to happen in that generation, that he was indeed coming back for his disciples as time and time and time again he promised that he would come back for them. And not somebody else. Um, the the language is very specific. I'm coming back for you, right? Some of you will not taste death before all these things happen. So, what I'm going to do tonight is look at Matthew 24. We're going to revisit that, and I'm going to show you. I actually came upon this discovery a couple of years ago now, and it was kind of by accident. I don't know why I did it. I didn't read anybody else who did this. I was, I was, I was. Um, going through this chapter, and it was I was finding it a little confusing and going like, you know, what does this all mean? And then for whatever reason, I just picked up Matthew 24, and I started sliding the verses over on top of each other, and it fit like a glove. I mean, I was like, oh my, like in order, with perfect order, they fit, all right? So first, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Now, keep in mind, this is all of these seals are leading up to the... Um, the final appearing of, of Yahusha, right? And Matthew 24 has the same thing. Everything is leading up to his appearing. And, and, and he always says that all these things will happen in this generation, and some of you will not taste death. Now, I need to put out there because the first skepticism everyone says is, um, like, really, no, you think, like, you know, you think all these people died and the, all these animals and the sea and all this stuff and the stars fell. Well, I wasn't there. I wasn't there in the first century. All I know is what scripture is pointing to, all right? So the first thing we see in Revelation 6, verses 1 through 2, is the first writer. And 
let me pull this up here in the Hebrew, and it says, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard the four living creatures say, like one voice, come and see. And then I saw a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow in his hand, and a crown was given to him, and he went to overcome, and he overcame. So, we're going to look at... Uh, let's rely on BibleBot tonight, and hopefully BibleBot does not let me down. Usually, she does not. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 5. And he sat on the Mount of Olives. The taught ones came to him separately, saying, Say to us, when shall this be, and what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he said to them, Take heed that no one leads you astray. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they shall lead you away. All right? So, now, you guys are going to say, this might not sell you right away. But you're going to see that they overlay each other really well. The first seal, I believe, is religious deception. And... Um, the, the first writer, the, uh, the, the writer with the bow, he is a deceiver. In fact, many commentators say that this is the Antichrist. All right. Now, there's, that's more up for debate. I've seen within the Torah community, and they will debate this. Um, but he's going out to conquer people, and he's going out to deceive people. And I'm of the opinion that there was a very big deceiver which showed up. Within the 40-year span between Yahushua's resurrection and the temple being destroyed, who went and deceived many people. And, um, and we, we see this in the language used within Revelation, uh, James, Peter, so on and so forth. We're talking about this Balaam character, this Jezebel going through the camps, right? Pulling out many people, deceiving them. All right. So that's the first. The next uh, seal is that of war. Revelation 6.4. Now I'm going to be reading from the, uh, uh, the, well, I'll read from the Hebrew here. Then another red horse went out, and he who sat on it was given to take away the shalom from the earth, and a great sword was given to him. All right, so now let's read the exact next verse in Matthew 24, which is, so we're going from this spiritual religious deception to war. And you shall begin to hear of fightings and reports of fightings. See that you are not troubled, for these have to take place, but the end is not yet. All right, that's the second seal, it's war. The next one we see is, uh, the third seal is famine. All right, so let me read from, I got to pull up all these different screens, guys. All right, verses five through eight. And when he opened the third seal, the third living creature said, come and see. Then I saw a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a measure of wheat for two coins and three measures of barley for two coins and the oil and the wine do not damage. Um, all right, so that's the, the third seal. So let's turn to the next verse in Matthew. It's amazing. They fit it over, right over each other like a glove. Matthew 24, verse 7, which says, For nation shall rise against nation, and reign against reign, and there shall be scarcities of food, and deadly diseases, and, then, and earthquakes in places. Right, we get to the, um, let's see, the fourth seal. Wait, did I skip over? Hmm, did I skip over a seal? I have, let me see what Revelation 6, 9 through 11 says. Um, 6, 9 through 11. And we open the fifth seal, so maybe I skipped over the fourth. Hmm, interesting. I'll have to go back and look at my notes. Whatever. But let's go read this anyways, because this is what's in front of me. And when you open the fifth seal, I saw under the temple the persons which were killed because of the set-apartness of Yahuwah and because of the testimony which they had. And they cried out with a great voice and said, Set apart and faithful don't, until when will you judge without avenging our blood and from those who dwell on the earth? And, and you guys know this story. So, um, so let's 
go to BibleBot, Matthew 24, verses 9 through 12. And it says, they shall, Then they shall deliver you up to affliction and kill you. Hmm. Kind of like the people under the throne. And you shall be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many shall stumble, and they shall deliver up one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise up and lead many astray. And because of the increase in lawlessness, the love of many shall grow cold. So here we see the people, um, as I went over on Thursday night, Sheol has been emptied by this point. Sheol was emptied at the, the time of the crucifixion and resurrection of Yahusha. And... The, according to Second Ezra, once it was emptied out, it would not be filled again with the set apart, the righteous. So, uh, my theory on this is that they, these uh, we see here under the throne, they're in a kind of holding cell, like they're not allowed into paradise yet. And this has been long commented on by different people, and we could debate why all we want, but for some reason they were in a holding cell; they were not released yet. And these are the people being delivered up. And then we go to the sixth seal. So Revelation 6, 12 through 13 says, And I saw that he opened the sixth seal, and there was an earthquake, and the sun was black, and the moon was red like blood. And all their hosts fell down like a leaf falls from a vine, and like the withering of a fig tree. And all the mountains and hills were shaken uh, away from their place. All right. Now we are going to go to Matthew 24, verse 29. And it says, and immediately after the distress, distress of those days, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give its light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So there you go. Um, I feel that that again. See, everyone reads Revelation six, and they think this is a future event, and I'm saying it happened. And one of the things that are helpful in this is that Yochanan is being taken up to the courtroom in heaven. All right. This courtroom is probably going on right now. I don't know what time zone they're in. They're probably not on uh, Florida or South Carolina time zone. They may very well be awake, and they're doing their um, they're they're opening their seals. They're opening their books. You know, the Lamb is stepping up there, and Yahuwah is sitting on the the Most High, is sitting on His throne. That the elders are out there, and they're 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 going about their court business. And on any given day, they're opening books, they're opening seals, all sorts of stuff. They're declaring things, and while this is obviously a big event that Yohanan is seeing, it's big enough that, you know, he's writing it down. What he is doing is he's recording the heavenly court. And we make it out like this is a once in history event. And Noel, you're taking away our hope. There you there go. There goes Noel again. He's taking away our hope. Because, <laughs> and I'm just telling you that like seals are open all the time up there. All right. And Yahuwah, the most high is always in control. He's got the books. He's got the people who can open it. He makes it happen. So, I am passing it back to Rob. Okay. Great tie-in with Matthew 24. I, I, I like that. And same with Michael on the, the constellation and stars. Good, good tie-in because I, I wonder, as I commented, uh, Michael, on the tying in these stars with these horses, Obviously, there's more than one star. It's a you know several of them, and it makes it makes you think that this particular horseman is, has an entourage, as as Paul Hart, Parley Hart said, an entourage coming coming along with them uh, in getting their work done. And I believe it was in 
Zachary, I think it was in Ezekiel where it mentions chariots. So obviously a chariot is, uh, it can be pulled by one horse, but usually there's multiple uh, in that sense. So uh, that, that could be, that could be referencing that, that is it's representing more than one horse. So I thought that was, that was great stuff to share. Now I'm going to talk on the fifth and sixth seal uh, overview. And what I have is regarding the, souls under under the throne under the temple these are the set apart ones who were killed for their testimony as in tablets of testimony or ark of testimony or tabernacle of testimony that word is the same word used when when you are referencing the tab tablets of testimony the ark and the tabernacle of testimony so they were killed for their testimony and when when you review the context used in the tablet of ark of and tabernacle of it's re always referencing the instructions you know the 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 words written to of obedience so once again you know they were killed for their testimony they were they were walking out the truth their faith and the set apart ones were killed for that uh, we also we also see that these these souls under the temple were wearing white robes or robes of light. That word there also uh, uh, does mention light in G three zero two two. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, and that is in the Isaiah sixty one ten. So we know these robes are of righteousness. They all, they, we've read that many times on these white robes and the representation of righteousness, garments of salvation. So they're all representative of that clean pureness and righteousness that these, that are, that these souls under the temple are wearing. And as Noel referenced, that these saints are, are there, uh, up there under the temple as Sheol has been released, etc. And then... The sixth seal, we see here a great earthquake and multiple things happening when this seal is, is uh, opened. The sun became black and, and a third of it darkened. And what I wanted to point out in, in, verse, in uh, Revelation 8, 12, it, it mentions a very similar event, which can be taken as the same event, just another spin on it. And that's where it gives a detail that it wasn't just black, but it was a third of it darkened. And then in, in Joel chapter 3 and, and chapter 2, multiple places, as referenced here, uh, 3, 14 and 15, 2, 10 and 31, this, his, his vision, his, what he saw was the sun and moon have become dark and the stars have lost their brightness. Very interesting. Uh, then the next next part during this great earthquake, it mentions the moon becomes as blood, and then also in in chapter eight verse twelve we see that one third of the moon is is darkened. Uh, and then in Ezekiel he references a very similar event. And when I in that verse it says uh, thirty two seven, and when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. 
says the word of Yahweh for the coming judgment on Mitzrayim. So once again, it's referencing to judgment. Now the stars, uh, same way, chapter 8, verse 12, and chapter 12, verse 4, one-third of them fell to the earth, like leaves fall from a vine. Isaiah 34, 4 reference. And all the heavenly lights will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and its lights will also wither away as a leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers from the fig tree. So we see these tie-ins and references with Isaiah talking about this, this type of event. Similar, similar uh, fashion of, of the stars falling and withering away, falling down. And then lastly, the heavens are separated, and we see that in Isaiah 34.4, with the scroll being rolled up. The, uh, every mountain and island from out of its places will be shaken and or moved, and the people hide in anger of the land. So that's my overview and tie-ins with the other visions that are spoken about uh, out there. So Michael, I will pass it over to you for further all right, <clears throat> I just have uh, four comments left on this Confidential Councils, Chapter 6. Um, I'm going to be speaking on two of these four. I'm going to be speaking on, I want to show that there's possible two separate events, and it might help Noel with his studies um, within this chapter. Um, so I'm going to read number 12 first in the Hebrew. Um, and I saw that he opened the six, and there was an earthquake, and the sun was black, and the moon was red like blood. Um, this reminds me of Joel 2, 30-31. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Um, just want to highlight blood moon. Uh, Acts 2, 19-20. And I will display wonders in the sky, above, and signs on the earth, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Again, blood moon. Um, he, Noel already read it, but Matthew 24, 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. That's after the trib. Um, is that a blood moon? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I'm saying I'm trying to say that something happens before the tribulation ends at his coming, quote unquote. When If you're a post-mill, you would say that. you know, After the tribulation, can't you just see it? It's right there in Matthew 24. But these other two passages are saying there's blood moon before that. So that's just my first example of it. There's possibly two, two events there. Um, the second would be uh, number 15. I'm going to read the, read the Hebrew. Uh, let's see. And the kings of the earth and the rulers and the rich ones and the officers and the slaves and the free ones hid in narrow caves and holes in the ground. Okay, so I want to make the case that it's similar to blood moons. This appears to be separate events. And here's... So Isaiah 2, 19 and 21. People will go into caves of the rocks and into the holes and in the ground, away from the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. On that day, people will throw away to the moles and to the bats their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship. In order to get in the clefts of the rocks and the crannies of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, when he arrives to terrify the earth. Okay, so... That seems like a parallel, right? They're, they're hiding in the caves of the rocks. So then we go, Revelation 17, 14. This is supposedly at his coming. 
these will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of the Lord and the King of kings. And those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful. I thought they're scared and hiding in the rocks, in the caves. How are they waiting for his return and ready to fight him? That's two separate events. It, it appears he comes like a thief in the night at the beginning, like he tells most of his disciples. And that's where they go hide in the caves. They were caught, you know, unsuspecting. And then you read on later in Revelation, they're, they're, wait, they're waiting for him to wage war against him at his coming, quote unquote. Um, so those are two examples of possibly two separate events. Um, number th I'll, I'll just go back to some regular notes here. Number 13, I'm going to read both. And the stars of heaven fell unto earth, even as a fig tree casteth, casteth her ultimate untimely figs, which she is shaken of a mighty wind. And in the Hebrew, and all their hosts fell down like a leaf falls from a vine, and like the withering of a fig tree. And we already talked about the Maseroth again, but the Greek, you know, it literally says the stars of heaven will fall unto the earth. Um, it reminded me of Isaiah 34, 4, and all the heavenly lights will, will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. Interesting, huh? Scroll has seals. And we're talking about the Maseroth. All its lights will also go wither away. This, what's the lights in the sky? We just talked about it. As a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. So again, this is just my case. Again, I'm not dogmatic on it, but that these are possibly talking about the heavenlies, the, the Maseroth in the sky. And then finally, and I'll end it off to know, um, number 16. I'll read the Hebrew. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us because of the appearance of him who sits on the throne and because of the fury of the Lamb. And just a cross-reference to Luke, Luke 23, 29. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are those who cannot bear and the wombs that have not given birth and the breasts that have not nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Just another somewhat of a cross-reference. But I uh, hope you enjoyed that, and I'll hand it off to Noel. I think you're... Uh, spot on, Michael, that we are looking at two events, and I haven't been able to that that's one of the things I haven't been able to put my finger on quite yet. You know it if you guys have been following what, what I've been trying to do over the last several months is problem solve, right? We've got a lot of problems in front of us if you know if the if these events did happen, and you know if the millennial kingdom physically happened on this earth, then we need to be able to, you know, we're kind of stuck in the rut of, of this doctrine that's been handed to us of this, you know, these future events and how do we look at it as a past event, right? I do believe that there are two things happening in Revelation and that's something I still need to dig into. So that's all good. Let me just, uh, I finally found, I didn't have in front of me my notes on the fourth, uh, the fourth seal. So, and keep in mind, guys, one, two, three, four, five, six, they all go in order in Matthew 24, all right? So, uh, concise order. And that's the thing where it, it really fits like a glove. So, because I didn't mention this earlier, it says, And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living creature say, Come and see. Then I saw a speckled and strong horse, and he who sat on it, his name was the messenger of death. Uh, and Hagehinnom, or Gehenna, followed after him. And authority was given to him to put to death a fourth part on the earth with the sword and with famine and with death and by animals of the earth. I'm going to make a quick comment on something that just occurred to me just now um, after I uh, show this verse in Matthew. 
I think this is Matthew 24, 7. Come on, Bible bot. Don't let me down. For nations shall rise against nation and reign against reign, and there shall be sac... Uh, oh, no, I already read that one. Uh, okay. Maybe, verse, maybe you're referencing verse 8. Yeah, let me try it. Let me try that again. Matthew 24, 8. And all these things... No, that's not... It. Okay, whatever. It was there, guys. I just had in my notes. Whatever. You just notes there. You guys can look it up, and they all fit over each other. I, I do want to make this comment, though. I had already... I had said... and. I think I can make a strong case for this, that Sheol was emptied out of the righteous by this point. Okay, so, and we see that the, the those who are handed over and persecuted and killed go to the throne. And I don't know how this really works out. This is a this is a whole other study of trying to figure out how the spiritual works with the physical, you know, as above, so below. You know, were these... These saints, these set apart, were they under the throne in heaven or under the throne in the actual temple on the earth or both? I believe that they were under the, the, the temple on the earth, but it would be really interesting if there's something going on between both locations. But it says here that the messenger of death, that the Gehenna, um, followed after him, right? No, it doesn't say Sheol. But it's interesting. Well, who's thrown into Gehenna, guys? Like it's not it's not the the set apart, and so that's just kind of something to to think about in that context. Because obviously, I would assume that in this context, the set apart uh, are not taking part in these wars. They're not, you know, they're not being affected necessarily death wise by this messenger of death if he's taking them to Gehenna. So. Um, just worth um, worth your attention. Back to you, Rob. Yeah, uh, regarding the messenger of death and whether you want to say death and hell was followed after him or Hagehanim, is that whatever was following him and he had the authority to give, he had the authority to put death a fourth part of the earth so there is a lot of obviously evil coming along with this messenger of death that's just going to be rampant uh, along the earth with sword famine, salmon, famine and death, etc. So, uh, but I wanted to also comment on the mention of the white horse being an antichrist figure. I think that is very likely also. And uh, I then wanted to also comment on the part Michael was mentioning in 16 and it said to the mountains and the rocks to fall on us hide because of the appearance of him who sat on the throne uh, because of the fear of your lamb I, I, I think that also is it could be a separate event uh, and it could be a referencing a certain peoples or uh, during the same event even and while some are fighting against them others are hiding and and scared because they see things differently so i'm i'm up for either or on that and i i definitely as we're going through this i'm hoping that we can piece some of these uh things together or show the separateness of them because as we see in the other books of ezekiel and jeremiah etc that these these events, the day of the Lord, are all described and very similar in many aspects, but there's also a few in it that are not. And it makes makes me wonder if some of these prophets speaking of these judgments that come out or come forth, 
are mini resets so that when one prophet's speaking of a specific event that it happens at certain points in time there's the, the these events of some sort some kind of famine judgment etc on on yah's people and somewhat of a reset so to speak uh, but um um without looking at reading these these prophets over again to fully stand behind that I, I i'm just speculating at this point without looking at at ahead because if 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 it doesn't say and relate that the that yeshua is coming in these but more or less judgments coming and and stuff happening then it could be a possibility and with that possibility we have um we have these uh judgments happening to where there could be another reset so to speak at that time just a thought, and if you guys think of anything like that or about that, I'd like to uh, hear your thoughts. With that, I I'm, I am done with this chapter. Yeah, I'm done as well. So uh, Noel can finish this off, or we can take questions. Roundtable it. All right, we're open up the floor, and anybody who has, I, I'm sure you guys have plenty to say on this. So um, be sure to stand in line, kindergarten style. Um, step up to the mic, and let us know what you guys think. Don't don't all rush up at once though. You know I have something to say, but I was going to wait. <laughs> Step on up. You got the mic. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned um uh, about uh, um um, like an antichrist type figure and the first thing that came to mind for me was Bar Kokhva um, so he was the um, the leader that um, led um, the a revolt it, I think it's considered the longest revolt in the history of the Roman Empire um, and, he, and he led a revolt and declared independence from the Roman Empire and held on for three and a half years, which kind of sound interesting, the number of three and a half years. Um, and um, at the time when he was leading, um, most of the biggest rabbis, the most famous rabbis at the time, uh, declared him uh, King Messiah. And they believed that he was Messiah. Um, and then, you know, everything fell apart. Um, so he came to my mind. Do you know who I'm talking about, Noel? Yeah, you're talking about the Bar Kokhba revolt, correct? Yes, yes. So did you know that he was considered the Messiah at the time? So that happened. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. Because now we're going to get a little wacky on the timeline, because that happened in the second century. Uh, I think it was 132 AD in the whereabouts. I actually had to quickly look that up just to make sure I had the right date. Is that what you're thinking about? Yes, because that's the only person that came to my mind from uh, like someone that was considered and declared King Messiah uh, during the Roman Empire. Um, so I actually saw a, uh, an interesting old text that, um, no, that was, um, let me see here. 
Um, I'm just looking this up real quick. Uh, oh, Hadrian, Emperor Hadrian. I think it was em yeah. I, if I, yeah, it was Emperor Hadrian who went up against that. Now there was an interesting um, document that I saw that talked about how Hadrian destroyed the temple. And you're like, well, wait a second, that's really weird because I thought it happened under was it, uh, you know, the Flavians, uh, you know, like uh, uh, seventy years earlier or something like that. And now Hadrian had did some interesting things on uh, Fort Antonia. I don't believe uh, the Temple Mount is where Solomon. If we're going by the actual land of Israel here, uh, that that's clearly a, a Roman fort to me. Uh, and Hadrian apparently did some stuff there. But I have wondered. And this is just against speculation. And I think it's worth looking in is were those two wars the same event? I, I think it's I think it's worth considering and looking in. Yeah, and and I also read that he's the one that did the final destruction, you know, because they were so pissed off because I mean they never had such a revolt that held for three and a half years from a relatively very small nation, you know. Um, but um, he was, um, when you read about Bar, Bar Kochva, it's a very interesting story. He was a ruthless leader, ruthless. Um, and then really like the most famous rabbis believed in him. Um, and then um, after all was said and done, and basically he's considered to bring the the most horrible devastation on the nation of Israel is Bar Kokhva because because of his revolt, um, you know, Adrian was ruthless once they um, they defeated the Bar Kokhva. But anyway, so years and years later, the rabbis, this is just my speculation, okay? The rabbis were trying to recover from, from their embarrassment, okay? Because they, they embraced him. Um, so then they started coming up with all kinds of uh, excuses. And finally, uh, sometimes in the Middle Ages, they started coming up with a theory that that the Old Testament was talking about two different messiahs, Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah ben Yosef, and Messiah ben David, and that Bar Kokhva was Messiah ben Yosef. So that's, I don't even know if you've ever heard about this, Noel, but this is so interesting and up to today all the orthodox rabbis are talking about two messiahs and and which actually kind of like fall in line with two coming of the like in a way they accepted the fact that there is a two coming of a messiah but they they were saying it's two different messiahs that's really interesting so that do they still hold Copa uh, as a potential messiah is he done with now? He, he, he is done. No, he. They claim that because they are trying to save save their faces, they claim that he was indeed a messiah, but he was the messiah Ben Joseph, okay, and Ben Yosef, uh, Joseph, you know, from the twelve tribes. So now, here's 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 what I think, and this is not a. Thus saith the Lord. This is a thus thinketh Noel. Uh, but 
I so we saw on Thursday night. Anyone who tuned in saw that Josephus, in my opinion, was clearly working for Rome. He was under Rome's. Yes. Uh, okay. So you see here that you have some uh, Jews who were teaming up with Rome to destroy Jerusalem. Well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So so it is my opinion that the Pharisees funded the rebellion in order to destroy the temple. Again, I will say it is my opinion that the Pharisees hated the temple and that they did not want the temple. The reason being is that they wanted their oral law. They wanted to push through their Talmud. The problem, again, is that the, the Sanhedrin was put in place. As long as there was a temple, there was a Sanhedrin. This is why I believe, again, that they are purposely skewing the narrative because to that when you have the dome of the rock the um on fort antonia i believe that the zionists know um when i say zionists i'm talking about the people up on top they the know controllers. the controllers they know where solomon's temple truly was and it was not on fort antonia and they have created this entire crisis because they actually don't want a temple at least not yet and so, as we know, Judaism comes from the Pharisee tradition, rabbinical Judaism. And uh, so I, I have seen read enough evidence for me to speculate and perhaps conclude, at least until I could be proven wrong, that the Pharisees were actually funding a war to destroy. I mean, this is how evil this whole thing was, but actually destroy the temple. Because then they actually got control from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin don't hold the control anymore. They have the, uh, the Babylonian Talmud in their... Uh, their control. Now we go from like two or three laws for Sabbath up to like, I don't know what it is, a thousand, thirteen hundred laws just for Sabbath. I mean, just, the, for, oh, yeah. it's a, yeah, five thousand. Wow. Okay. Just, and it's unbelievable, right? So they don't want to hand up that control anytime soon, I don't believe. And that's why they just keep pushing this off and off and off and keep creating, uh, oh, look, another fist fight broke out on top of the Temple Mount because we got to delay the temple another decade now. You know, so. so it's very interesting what you just suggested because just recently I read that they started doing archaeological digs um, outside of like kind of like on a different location, but outside the, where is the old uh, city? Okay, and they, they, are yeah. say, they are saying that this is where uh, the real. Um, city of David was located, and so maybe they are getting credit to build the temple. So now they are starting to say that it's in another that the city of David, Ir David, is actually not inside the the walls. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 they found some really interesting things over there recently, and they yeah. had the uh, the name of uh, the name of I guess. Um, Yahuwah, I guess, or I don't know what the name was exactly over the, the gate there, which, you know, over what I call Fort Antonia, and people are saying that's proof it was a temple, I say far from it. But then they've also claimed to have found the, the city of Shalom there, or the city of Meshelzedek. Uh, it is a pretty cool little temple they found there. Um, and, uh, you know, the I guess the inner uh, biblical nerd in me got excited about that. Um, even though I'm highly questioning whether this is the Holy Land, but um, I thought that that's you know pretty cool. So, yeah, but I, I I definitely do not believe that Fort Antonio was the location of the temple. I think it was very close to Fort Antonio. 
uh, as the the uh, first Maccabees documents uh, that it looked down upon it and that there was a bridge going down to it. But I do not believe that that uh, that wall, anything within that that wall, was it. So that just again, that's just my personal opinion. And I think that you might be right because now they are starting to discover things uh, in different locations. Well, think about this. Okay, the 1967 war. Um, I don't remember the guy leading the, the, the Israeli army. I have a whole article on it. I, I talk about him. What was the first thing they did when they came into Jerusalem on the first day? They marched in, they went up to the Temple Mount, and then they handed over to the Palestinian Authority on the first day. They just said, here you go. We just conquered it, but we're going to give it back to you. And, and to me, it doesn't look like they really, I mean, they had it in their, their, their grasp. There was no threat of a nuclear annihilation ever. They gave it over. And then we hear all these stories. And I used to fall for this stuff. I used to think, oh, this is so terrible. And the Palestinians, you hear these, these um, quotes about how they're like, they're digging down there and they're destroying it. And there's like this whole, like, this garbage heap where they're throwing out second era you know, or second temple era artifacts out there. And I'm just like, if really, like, am I to believe that Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, which I believe is running the world. I believe that yes, Zionism, I, Zionism, I agree with you. Zionism is a pet project uh, of, yes. of Rome, just, just, as, just as Islam is. And, yes. and the Roman Catholic Church could go in there and say, Palestinians, please don't destroy our Second Temple era you know, artifacts. Those, those belong in a museum. Like, like, they have full control over this, and I just don't accept that whole narrative. I just Everything that's happening over there, I don't accept it. Um, I just think that it's just all, it's all for show. So does anybody else, um, if you had anything else, but does anyone else have any thoughts on uh, what we've gone over tonight, Revelation 6? I don't want to, I don't want to hog the roundtable discussion. My apologies. I do. Not so much a question or more like a historical background because it's like, okay, this maybe is, I'll say it, my ignorance or or lack of knowledge. But once again, who is John? Because I think people like myself sometimes confuse the John that we're referring to as the um, author of these books in the New Testament is sometimes maybe John the Baptist, but it's not. It's John, it, who is one of the 12 apostles. And could you speak to that? Because sometimes we have these different names, like even in the, um, the regular Bible, James known as, you know, this, you know, they, they've had two names or so. So could you, could you clarify to us who, who is John? Yochanan or John would be Yochanan and he's one of the sons of Tunda. And uh, the John the Baptist or Yochanan, the baptizer was beheaded for uh, partly for uh, criticizing Herod, taking his brother's wife while his brother still lived. Um, and then he, his, you know, it's one of the only two birthdays recorded in scripture to my knowledge, uh, where, you know, heads will roll on a birthday in the Bible. And uh, the other one belongs to Pharaoh beheading the uh, chief baker, or I guess hanging the chief baker, but, uh, John the Baptist lost his head during Yahusha's ministry. So yes, this is, we are talking about one of the 12, um, the same author who wrote, the Gospel of John, as well as First, Second, and Third John. Anybody else? No. Have you heard the the theory? I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. Were you 
were you wondering in regards to the, I guess, the scholarly opinion that Revelation was described by John's disciple, also named John? Is that what your question was referring to? Was it? Oh, was that uh, Mike's question? I don't know. Was that your question, Mike? No, but I've actually heard that before. Uh, what he said. I would, yeah, I, I, I would think that that's just the the attempt to keep pushing Revelation further out and further away from uh, seventy A.D. to completely disjoint, separate, uh, you know. The two, and I, I pointed out that on Thursday night that everybody assumes that John is an old man. Uh, we see painting and you know artwork. He's always an old man, but why? It doesn't say that in the text. It doesn't say he's an old man. We believe it because we've been told it so much in order to you know the sleight of hand to make it look like they they don't want us to associate that book with being written before seventy A.D. And as I've pointedly stated time and time again that one of the biggest prophecies uh, that the the other biggest prophecy aside from Yahusha prophesying that he would uh, the sign of Jonah that he would rise again uh, destroy this temple and he would you know rise again was that the temple would be destroyed and that all the New Testament was written with that lingering like nobody said aha it happened just like he said like they put that in there like he said that and it would happen in this generation and it, uh, it it wasn't fulfilled, and so I I've, that's one of the many reasons that I believe Revelation was uh, written before the temple was destroyed. That okay, was still lingering so is, as an historical, not just as a John's vision, but also as an historical narrative. As you, you've clearly you shared this before, they would have put that in there. So this is why, as you're saying, this was written before 70 A.D. Yeah, whenever you see prophecies fulfilled, it would it would be like, uh, not whenever, but many times they would say, and thus fulfilled such and such prophecy. They would they would you know, and he said this to fulfill the writings of such and such. Yeah. I've got a question. Um, you guys are talking about the Pharisees, and I've I've often wondered. I just never looked it up uh the levitical priesthood or the kohen did did they is it uh, like evolve into the pharisees or how the sanhedrin or how did it how did it go from the levitical to what was in the messiah's time robert michael you guys want to answer that no it can still be just me oh, Rob. No, I have not personally followed the whole trail, but there, <clears throat> uh, I can't recall if there was any type of hijacking on it or what uh, specific, if there was any bloodline that uh, trailed that to either. So I can't speak to that. It's not something I studied regarding the Pharisees. Okay, my my here's my understanding is that the Pharisees were not the dominant power of Yahusha's ministry. The uh, Sanhedrin still were. Now, there this would be a whole different study and I don't have the notes in front of me so I don't feel comfortable talking about this too much, but the the 
the temple controllers were not i don't believe the yahudim and uh this the the switcheroo happens with the maccabean revolt and again that's a whole different discussion but yahusha is calling them multiple times the sons of hasatan now i know that people will say oh it's just it's kind of like figurative like you're either like the seed of yah or the seed of satan uh which is true uh, to a degree but i i kind of really speculate that these were literally there was a switcheroo that happened and those were not the yahudim and this is some of what we hear in revelation uh you know when he yahushua is writing this and saying those who say they are of the um the the jews but they're actually the synagogue or the congregation of of hasatan they're the ones going to be handing you over well who were the people handing them over the temple controllers people were afraid to come out about messiah that Yehusha was Messiah because they wanted to stay in the temple with the controllers. We saw that with the parents of the the blind person. We saw that with uh, uh, Nicodemus and others. They were all afraid to come out. And um, from my perspective, I'm going like, why would you, why? Like, I mean, I would want to be kicked out and being the good company of Yehusha and his disciples. But um, so the the Sanhedrin were still in control, and this goes back. Now, keep in mind what's who's in control today. Well, rabbinical Judaism, right? And rabbinical, you could look this up on Wikipedia. Rabbinical Judaism finds its roots in the Pharisees. The 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 Talmud comes out of the oral tradition, and it, one of the ways they, they will say that the oral tradition goes all the way back to Moshe, that Mo, that Moses and uh, Yehoshua or Joshua, they were given a um, a, a written law that was for the people and an oral law that was for their kind of their mystery schools for the you know the elite to be passed down the problem i have with that is that you get into right in the times leading up to the babylonian captivity and you see that the torah was completely lost and you're like well wait a second if they were so negligent with the written law that they actually lost it and they didn't even have it anymore in their possession. Um, and you had to, you know, have people going digging it up out of the ground. And then finally you get to Ezra and he's like supernaturally transcribing it from the most high, all the scripture, cause it was all gone. And then he read it in front of the people for the first time. And they're all weeping cause they hadn't heard it. Like old men had hadn't heard it in their lifetime. But you're like, well, how did they keep the oral law going too? Like that doesn't, you know, but anyways, so yeah, hopefully that explains that. And that's where I, 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 I do believe that there was a, um, an attempt on the Pharisees part to, to read the control of the temple, um, away from the Sanhedrin and to do it, they actually, you know, destroyed it. They were that, um, I, I, I believe that they were that, that, that evil and wicked, but again, that's just me. Go ahead. No, like I just want to share um, a thought about um, you. You mentioned about the oral Torah, which I'm completely with you. That was the biggest issue that I had uh, from my childhood because it just didn't make sense to me. Um, but I want to go back to Yeshua, and I, I mean, I think one of the, the biggest fight that he was fighting with with them was about the oral tradition he was blaming them that they are following their traditions rather than the word of god and um so i always go to the story when he's in the desert and um satan is um tempting him 
and everything that Satan tells him, notice he, when he replies to Satan, he doesn't say, my understanding is, no, he's saying it is written that blah, blah, blah. And then again, it is written that and that. So, and, and in my opinion, it's so important. That word is like, you know, for, for me, that's a message from Yeshua. You have to pay attention to what is written, not to the understanding or interpretations of, of, of human beings. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah, great, I, great point. Even Yahushu was pointing back to the word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, yeah you know, clearly, it, clearly, you know, the, the, what's funny is that when he, the one time that, correct me, there might be more, but the one time that he told, this was a huge slap in their face in the Pharisees. He told the people, he said, listen to the Pharisees. Everything they have to say when when they're in the seat of Moses, and so he's describing when they actually go to the synagogue and they open up the Torah and they sit in the seat of Moses and they read it. And he's saying, "Look, when they're in the seat of Moses, listen to everything they have to say." And that's like an ouch, just like you know, slap in the face type of thing. Um, so yeah, it, he clearly Yahusha Messiah was the reason he was criticizing them was for. Um, ultimately doing away with the law. And this is what I, I, I point to that it's not, Judaism today has done away with Torah. Now they will tell you what? No, we've never done that. But they, they will tell you um, if, if they're being honest, if you get into the inner circles that, that there is no Torah apart from the Talmud, apart from their oral um, interpretations of it. You cannot interpret that. You can't read that aside, aside from the interpretations. And so they have done away with Torah in order to keep to their traditions. And Christianity does the exact same thing. It, it, um, it, it, there's there's just this, this this cognitive dissonance that, that like, I don't, I don't know. It's like, you look at biblical history, it never worked out well for anybody who did away with Torah in order to keep to their own traditions. It just never worked out well. And I don't know why so many people, they think it's okay to do it now. I, I don't get it, but... Well, I mean, they are following the guy that was orig originally a Pharisee, um, and that's what he did. He did away with everything that Yeshua said. Yeah. Anybody else have any uh, thoughts? Well, I, my question is, like, really, what happened to the Levitical priesthood, though? It just seems to have just disappeared at some point in time. Like, the Levites were the priests, and then they just well, disappeared. Next thing you know, you've got the Sanhedrin and the. Well, I I don't understand. I mean, we still so so there were. What happened was is is leading up to the Babylonian captivity, you had uh you had the north the the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom was Israel, and those consisted of the, the ten tribes. And then you had the two to three tribes that stuck with uh, down in Judah. You had uh, Yehuda, you had Benjamin, and, and Levi. There, and so Yehuda divorces the top ten tribes, and he's done with them. And that's a whole other story. And the, the three that remain are Benjamin, Levi, and Judah. So they go into captivity. They're the ones that come back. And so the Levitical priesthood is still there at the temple. This is and now again, and now we're 
what happened to you know what happened to them today is a whole different a whole different ballgame. That's a whole different story. But if we're going by a official history, then you have the Cohens, you have the, um, you know, the levies, the, um, you know, the, a lot of those around that I, I just spoke with a guy at my house, uh, just recently, he came down, he noticed I was wearing tassels and he wanted to, uh, he was really insulted because I had the name of the most high on my shirt. And he's like, you're not supposed to do that. You know, and he was trying to correct me. And I was like, well, where does it say I'm not supposed to do that? And he, you know, he couldn't show me because he knows that I told him, you know, I'm not going by any oral traditions. I only go by the, the written law. And he's like, really? You, like he was like, shocked. He, he was shocked that anybody would wear tassels and, you know, and like just go by the written law. He, he'd never encountered that. But he claimed to be descended from the Levites. He was a levy. So if they ever do get around to putting up a new temple, they have a Sanhedrin in place today.